Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following episode contains discussion of suicide that some listeners might find upsetting. So please do take care as you listen. On October 7th last year, I started investigating the online drama around Carrie Jade Williams. Three days later, I pitched a story to Vice, an online magazine, who commissioned it. And two days after that, on October 12th, I was on a plane to County Kerry, Ireland, to find TikTok's most elusive creator. Camlair is a beautiful small town on the west coast of Ireland, with a real Wes Anderson vibe. The taxi ride from Kerry Airport takes about an hour, and most of the route is surrounded by giant rolling hills that make you feel like you've stepped into a Tolkien novel. I was half expecting to see trolls trundling over the hillside as we drove past. Even with the modern shops and resort hotels, you can see and feel Kenmare's history. It felt strange to be investigating such a modern mystery here. But if you were picking a place to hide from the world, then you couldn't do much better. Even with the modern shops and resort hotels, you can see and feel Kenmare's history. I arrived expecting to meet Carrie Jade and maybe solve a little of the mystery. What I left with was far more intriguing. I'm Sue Perkins. And I'm Kat Denkinson. And you're listening to Carrie Jade Does Not Exist, a podcast about one woman who took on over six different identities, infiltrated the lives of vulnerable people, lied her way into gaining their trust, and built up a picture-perfect persona until she got tangled up in her own web of lies. Pain is such a, like, murky, watery subject. We give of our time, our friendship, our family. We kind of always err on the side of cynicism when it comes to people's pain. I just thought she was lovely, she was caring, she was compassionate. It's hard to be listened to and heard. I actually put her number into WhatsApp and realised that her number's still active on my phone. Why the hell aren't we calling it? We can if you want. Should we try? This is episode six, Finding Samantha. We're all fascinated by stories like that of Carrie Jade Williams. We love to peel back the layers, trying to understand what drives someone to pretend to be someone else, to pretend to be multiple people. The why done it, it's part of our human nature. And the fallout from Samantha Cook's lies affects more than just the people she scammed. For many within the disabled community, the behaviour of people like Samantha Cooks, when she was pretending to be Carrie Jade Williams, 
can make it even harder for them to be believed when talking about their own conditions. Ione Gamble is a writer and editor who lives with a chronic illness. There's loads of difficulty in getting diagnosed, as I'm sure most listeners are aware, the NHS is underfunded, underserved, and people can kind of be lost in a game of snakes and ladders getting sent around different consultants, getting sent around different departments, having, you know, tests that don't draw up any conclusive results. It's hard to be listened to and heard. People that are disabled and have chronic illnesses are also really likely to be not listened to or not believed within our healthcare service. That disbelief can bleed into medical practice as well, meaning that disabled and chronically ill people have a harder time actually getting diagnosed because the idea of faking has become so commonplace, at least when it comes to the stories we see online. I think... The problem with stories like Samantha's is that as a species, I would say we kind of always err on the side of cynicism when it comes to people's pain. Like, you know, we've all experienced maybe like a colleague's been off with a cold and it's like, oh, are they really sick or are they just, you know, wanting to get out of work? You can be the most kind of like socially sound, conscious, incredible person in the world and still that doubt creeps in we don't believe people that are in pain pain is such a like murky watery subject like you can't actually describe what pain feels like so therefore we can't really like grasp it and say oh there's something that we can actually quantify that means that person is unwell so stories like samantha's really just feed into this kind of narrative that disabled and chronically ill people are lying or that they're you know exaggerating their symptoms in order to reap whatever rewards that non-disabled non-chronically ill people think that disabled people get so why are we telling this story at all does in fact telling a story like this contribute to the problem build on those narratives that actually harm disabled and chronically ill people I think it's a difficult one and I think it's important to talk about story like and also interesting like obviously we all find it interesting when someone's like a bit of a grifter or a bit of a scammer but I think it's all about balance like if we're talking about someone who has lied about having disability or chronic illness we're not talking about them as being a monolith we're not talking about them as like this is the truth this is what everyone does who is chronically ill or disabled um We are saying this is like, you know, a bit of a rare case and that's what makes it so compelling and interesting at the end of the day. Part of the reason that nobody ever questioned Carrie Jade, despite her many changing and extreme claims, was that faking disability is extremely rare. Whilst there are cases of people who've faked having major illnesses, these are so few and far between that we can acknowledge them as outliers. Generally speaking, if someone tells us they have an illness, it's far more likely they're telling the truth. So my main aim in telling this story was to find closure for the women whose lives have been affected by Samantha Cooks, a woman who adopted the role of disability advocate as a way to make herself immune to scrutiny. To not tell her story would be like saying faking a disability is no big deal and that it wasn't important enough to write about. But it was important, so I had to write about it. And then make a podcast about it. So what was it like going to Ireland, to to Ken Mayer, to to try and actually find Carrie Jade Williams in person? It was all a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest. I pitched the investigation expecting to get a word count in the deadline. And instead I was asked, do you want to go and meet her this week? So rather than settling down to write, I booked a hotel, hopped on a plane to Ireland the following day. When I first got to Ken Mayer, I didn't actually have an address for Carrie Jade either. I just kind of hoped that the fact she was a well-known British writer in a tiny Irish town would mean that at least one of the locals could point me in her direction. 
So where did you start? What, what was your opening gambit? Well, I knew from Carrie Jade's social media that she had links to the Carnegie Arts Centre, so that was my first port of call. And while there was a lot of online drama around Carrie, I wasn't sure how much had actually reached the local community, and I didn't want to give too much away. So I hopped up at the Arts Centre and asked the receptionist if she knew of Carrie Jade and could put me in touch with her. And did she tell you where to find Carrie? Honestly, she looked at me like I was nuts. Yeah, I mean, I might have the same reaction, to be honest. If I was at work and, and, and somebody came up to me and was very, very specific in wanting to, to track down somebody affiliated to my to my workplace, I, I think I'd, I'd be the same. Oh, absolutely. And I think after realising that I had no idea where Carrie Jade lived, she even said to me, what are you going to do, just walk around till you found her? Is that what you're planning? Essentially, yeah. Asking around town seemed like my best shot while I had no address. And to be honest, the receptionist was lovely. She actually quite kindly took my details and said she'd think about passing them to Carrie Jade if she came past. Which, of course, is a sensible thing to do, but might land you in hot water if she then tells Carrie Jade. It would scare the horses, as it were. So what's next? You've gone to the Arts Centre. What other leads did you have? So yeah, not a lot, to be honest. I spent the rest of the day getting acquainted with the town and then headed back to my hotel for the evening. While I was there catching up on my DMs and emails that I'd received about the story, I actually realised that one of my sources had sent me Carrie Jade's phone number. And, you know, I'd had no other luck that day, so I thought I'd give it a ring and see if she'd chat to me. Well, I'm guessing she didn't answer. No, she did. She actually answered. Really? What? What do you mean she answered? Okay, all right. Well, tell me everything. So she answered the phone pretty quickly and she was super friendly, super bubbly. And I said to her, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm working with Vice. I really want to talk to you about this Airbnb story. Right. So you you pretty much went straight for it. How did she react? She suddenly got really flustered, said she couldn't talk to me right then, but she could definitely get a pen and write down my number. Hang on a minute, I thought she couldn't hold a pen. She's won an award for writing with assistive technology. So, I mean, the game's up already, isn't it? Theoretically, yeah. She kind of worked that out herself after a second as well and suddenly changed her mind about the pen, said she'd email me. And then after a couple of beats, she was actually, no, do you know what? I've got a medical appointment and I have to go now and hung up. Okay, so... It's all very well having her phone number, but if she shut you down, you have to find another way to get to her. So what was the next plan? At that point, I decided it was best to wait and see if she would email me, and then went off to get dinner. A little while later, I got a phone call from an unknown Irish number. Half expecting it to be Carrie, you know, I picked it up. But it wasn't her. It was actually an older Irish lady called Geraldine. She'd gotten my details from the Arts Centre and said that she really wanted to talk to me about Carrie Jade, because they'd once been friends. This is already, I'm obsessed with the receptionist at the Arts Centre, who's not just telling Carrie Jade, but who's telling everybody that, that, that an English woman came in and is asking questions. So I've always wanted to know, I mean, it's, obviously it's your job as an investigative journalist, but how do you feel when something out of the blue comes in like that? Honestly, it was really exciting. Yeah. Especially in the, on this trip, because, you know, I'd gotten nowhere, essentially. I'd left my details with a receptionist who looked at me like I was Wally. And so getting a call from someone who, you know, she not only knows the woman I'm after, but she's willing to talk about it, it was amazing progress. And yeah, I invited her to come and meet in my hotel a couple of hours later. She arrived, she brought her older daughter with her, and we sat in the hotel lobby and chatted for about an hour and a half in the end. And we talked about how Carrie had come into her life, how she basically turned Geraldine's life upside down and effectively changed the way she saw the world. Okay, I'm Geraldine Topham. I'm here in Kenmare in County Kerry. Yeah, and I'm her daughter, Helen. Let's start from first principles. How did Geraldine first get to know Carrie Jade? 
So she met Carrie Jade through her younger daughter, Helen, who'd actually met Carrie Jade as a friend. Yeah, so it was actually under kind of tragic circumstances in that I was helping a local lady with some admin and stuff and her daughter had passed away and then we had met Carrie because she was a friend of um, this lady that I was helping. And in 2021, Carrie Jade had been living in a small Irish town not far from Kenmare when her neighbour at the time had a sudden death in her family. Carrie Jade, as her neighbour, came along to help. We were kind of just told that this Carrie Jade was come to be with her. Um, you know, to help her through her grief and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. then this Carrie Jade arrived and that was the first time, yeah. Yeah, that we had met her. So yeah, Carrie Jade spent some time getting to know Helen and she stayed in Kenmare and actually rented a house there. I thought she was lovely. Yeah. I just thought she was lovely. She was caring. She was compassionate. That's the thing with Carrie, isn't it? Uh, it's the same MO. At the end of every story, we find out all the lies she told, all the ways, the multiple ways she betrayed people. But it always starts with an opening, an opening that's usually desperation or grief, and she fills that void. Uh, she always comes across as the nicest, sweetest, most helpful person. She absolutely does. It's her skill. She seems to show up in people's lives at the exact moment they need her, knowing exactly what they wanted, you know, whether it's help with their children, someone to care for their loved ones, or whether they're grieving or they just want a child. Carrie just shazam, she's there like a miracle in front of them. Yeah, and uh, miracles, as we know, are too good to be true. They are indeed. Um, when Geraldine and her daughters met Carrie, she was helping their mutual friend through the grief of losing her daughter. We definitely took her in that week in that, you know, she didn't know anybody else in Khmer. So mom would have driven her back to her house to collect stuff. We would have brought her out for dinner that week. We would have spent a lot of time with her. She was lovely. She she, she really was, um, you know, and seemed genuine and stuff. <laughs> maybe we're maybe we're a little gullible. bit too yeah gullible and a bit too open and friendly who knows so i just want to take a moment to work out where where we are within the wider story we we know that this is after uh, she's won the writing prize at this point is she she telling geraldine and co about her huntington's disease she did yeah she did have tremors and stuff like that and told us straight off the bat that she had Huntington's and what she didn't have. And she was very forthcoming and very open. Mm -hmm. So Geraldine and Helen become pretty good friends with Carrie Jade. Absolutely, for a time at least. When I spoke to Geraldine in early October last year, 2022, she told me that they had been good friends, but at that point they hadn't actually spoken to Carrie Jade in three months and the family had actually distanced themselves from her. Mm, Okay, so why is that? And it all came down to Carrie Jade's fiancé, Fionn. Hang on, don't you mean Liam? Because that's the fiancé we heard about last time. No, Fion. Another fiancé. Oh, another fiancé. Okay. Yep, there is another fiancé. And after the break, we're back to find out who Fion actually was. Or at least who Carrie Jade said he was. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you followed this from the start, you'll know that Fionn was Carrie Jade's third fiancé, the first being Liam, who she claimed had died by suicide because he had motor neuron disease, and the second, who fathered her two living children, and now Fionn. So, we haven't mentioned Fionn before. Who was he? Well, this is what Carrie Jade told Geraldine and Helen about him. Ah, oh, Fionn was... We all want okay. Fionn. So, yeah, so he was a, an environmental lawyer would spend um, a couple of days every month over in Berlin fighting the cause um, that he was massively involved in the church. He was helping, you know... Um, sex addiction. Sex and drug addicts up the country through the church. Um, uh, he was very, They had a house in Killarney. Like he had a house in Killarney. She met him in a church setting. Yeah. They met and they used to have these prayer meetings. Wow. He sounds... Really great, and I'm ladling as much as much sardonic sauce onto that as I possibly can because he's he sounds too good to be true. He cares about the planet, great. He's involved in the community, great, and he's just showed up for her in the midst of her grief. Absolutely, and we already know exactly how that goes with Carrie Jade. Soon enough, Helen and Geraldine found out that Carrie's dreamy fiance was exactly that—a dream. Fionn was no more real than any other aspect of her perfect life. That was in December, I'd say. So we had said, come on now, it's about time we meet, you know, Fionn. Mom was making a pavlova, as she does. And they were going to come over at three o'clock and he hadn't arrived. And at this time I was in the midst of my studying. So my time was kind of precious and I was I was kind of getting anxious that, um, you know, he wasn't there. And but it transpired that he was up ministering in Limerick in a church. So they invited him to dinner again. And again. And again. But according to Carrie Jade, he kept finding reasons to flake at the last minute. We were cross with it at the end because, you know, on one hand we said, how does he not have the respect for us, you know, um, to, to show up or to say, look, that time doesn't suit. Maybe we'll do it another time. But sure. we still kept going until yeah. the following August. Well, by August 2022, Carrie Jade had convinced Geraldine and Helen that her wedding to Fionn was imminent and told them she was going wedding dress shopping. She always pushes it, doesn't she? Wedding dress shopping, right? Yep. I mean, you took you took a wedding dress shopping, didn't you? At one point, I think I did. I I mean, oh. she was going for this in Kenmare, and like, I went in and brought in the prosecco. Geraldine had already been told by Carrie Jade that her own mother couldn't join her, 
and feeling bad that she'd have to do you know, such a momentous thing by herself, Geraldine decided that she'd play mum, go along with Carrie Jade and then make a real day of it. She felt so bad for her that her own mother hadn't, you yeah. know, let's say, given her the time to go and do wedding dress. Yeah, wedding and I suppose the fact that, that, yeah, that she was on her own and she was sick and when she was paying for the dress, the mother rang seemingly her and said, oh, she wants to pay for the dress. Hang on, Carrie Jade's mother rang her because if I remember right, she, she told people that her mother lived in the US. She did. This is a part of the story we've not properly explored yet. So when I went to Ken Mare, I'd already established that Carrie Jade was Samantha Cooks. And off the back of that, I'd written up an extensive timeline for the family. So I knew that despite pinning her fraud conviction on this sister, she has no sisters. And also off the back of that, I also had the name and address of her mother, who lives in the UK. So I was interested to find out what she told Helen and Geraldine about her childhood. So, well, no, yeah, the beginning was that she was in a mother and baby home in Cork. And then she was adopted by a single mother over in England, who was the first um, single mother, basically, to to adopt a child on her own. She said that her mum was the first single mother to adopt a child by herself. I mean, yes, lying is one thing, but but lying about being uh, you know, the, the first, the historic adoption, that's another thing entirely, because that's, that's foolish. You can check that stuff. You know, people can actually Google it. That's crazy. But once again... It's pushing it because I believe underneath it all she wants to be found out. It's a possibility and it's, it's absolutely a feature of all her lies. You know, she seems to get stuck between wanting people to feel sorry for her, but also admiring her and being fascinated mm. by these details of her incredible life. And at this point, the incredibly cinematic life she's now invented for her mum as well. Her mother now, this is the mother that adopted her, was over in the States and had, um, let's say, plastic surgery done. Yeah. And she owned factories over in the, the Middle East. And she was with her partner who was 20 years younger and he was a, a cowboy over in Texas and stuff. So just to make sure I'm getting this right, she's claimed her mum was the first single woman ever in the UK to adopt a child. And she was married to a Texan cowboy less than half her age. That's what she was telling people. So yeah, it did sound mad. And in the end, she was saying that this was come December. She was saying that the mother and the partner had moved over to Ireland to Sneem, which is like half <laughs> an hour away. And none of this was true. Oh, of course not. Right. Carrie Jade had not spent her early years in an Irish mother and baby home. She was absolutely not adopted. Her mother was not with a young Texan cowboy and absolutely did not live in the tiny weeny village of Sneem. So you put all those lies together and if someone sat down and told me that, I would laugh like that. But um, I suppose it's, this is being dragged out over a long period of time. She's established a base of trust. She's got to know people. So these lies are drip-fed over a period of time. And I'm assuming that Geraldine and Helen believed it? They believed that she had Huntington's disease and that she'd been adopted. Yet Carrie Jane had also told them that she had three sisters, one of whom had mental health issues. And at the time, they believed that as well. But the story about her mother moving to Sneem started raising their suspicions because Sneem's tiny and okay. Geraldine knew half the village at this point and they'd have pretty much noticed a young Texan cowboy trucking about, you know. I imagine, yes. Um, so they had doubts, but did they, did they challenge her on that point? Not at that point, no, because they also believed that she was dying and, you know, they didn't yeah. want to push the sick girl too hard. I still believed yeah. everything she was saying, Kat, you know. I still believed that she was... Um, you know, that she, I had no reason not to believe it. And because she was suffering from such a bad, I'm laughing now because it's ridiculous, but from such an illness, we said, geez, if it was our sister, if it was your, if yeah, it was yeah, your daughter, yeah. you know, we'd do the same. We'd but hope also, that somebody would do the same. So, all right, what changed? 
So it was actually a series of events that started off with Carrie promising favours and organising holidays for everybody. Oh, we've seen that before. We have indeed. I was due to go to Croatia with her. So I had done one or two podcasts with Carrie. So she was helping like, um, you know, women in need basically um, to kind of get back on their feet through podcasting. And how this was going to work is unknown. As Carrie Jane never seemed to post any of the podcasts she was recording and nobody ever met the women that she was supposedly helping. They were earning between 40 and 60 grand a year and, you know, it just sounded incredible. And then, oh yeah, so she said, she asked me if I'd go to Croatia um, as kind of like an assistant to help with doing a podcast over there. I mean, Croatia. (laughs) I'm not sure why her podcast needed to be made in Croatia. Neither were Geraldine and Helen, and to be honest, neither am I. You know, what they would be talking about, what she was actually working on, who she was working, none of that was ever mentioned. Helen had no clue even where the money was coming from to fund all of this, or who was paying that much money for podcasting. Yes, I mean, I I did for a moment think, oh, that's where the podcasting cash is, Croatia. I mean, obviously this is starting to feel like that Lapland trip that Carrie promised all her mates in our earlier episodes. It really is. And after a few vague conversations with Carrie about the trip, Helen realised, you know, she couldn't even get a straight answer about where they were going to be staying and not feeling particularly safe about the whole thing. She changed her mind and dropped out. And how did Carrie react to that? She wasn't happy about it, but she told them she was going to go to Croatia by herself anyway. Right. And this is somebody with late stage Huntington's disease. Yeah. Right. So I told her the day before that I had COVID. It was a great excuse at the time. <laughs> and I didn't hear much from her that weekend. And I kept being like, oh, send me on a picture. Like, you know, um, really want to see it. And she didn't send me on anything. Um, uh, she couldn't. She actually said that she cut her sh- trip short. And I was like, but how if you have all these podcasting things lined up? Yeah, I mean, Carrie's story wasn't lining up in the slightest. It wasn't the first time Helen had gotten suspicious of things, but this, this was like a vital moment in their friendship. It was really getting towards the end. We were like, we're nearly done. By this point, Carrie had lied about so many things, made multiple excuses for why they couldn't meet her mother, couldn't meet her fiancé. I mean, she even refused to share a picture of him. But then she got sick. Well, I think that the defining incident for me was Listol. Yeah. She was in Listol and she was doing this uh, oh, exhibition and stuff, and she kind of got a fit. Yeah. At an exhibition they attended, Carrie had some kind of seizure, and she later explained it as a side effect of her Huntington's. Obviously, for Geraldine and Helen, this was really worrying. You know, they knew Carrie Jane was ill, but they'd never seen her actually affected by the illness before. Realising that Carrie needed her friends and her family around her, Geraldine started asking for actual contact details for Fionn and for her mother so she could actually let them know if it happened again. But Carrie refused to give them over. So I was actually worried about her, her health. So there was no number for Fionn or the mother or the doctor. So I think at that stage I said, not that I was backing off, but I was kind of going, the dots aren't joining yeah. up here. Geraldine realised that for months they'd always been there when Carrie needed them. You know, they'd welcomed her into their lives, treated her like family. But she couldn't even share a picture of her fiancé with them. But it wasn't until August Mm. that I said, I sent her a nice message and just said, like, really, I feel a little bit disrespected. So on August 26th last year, Geraldine finally texted Carrie Jade to say she needed to take a step back from their relationship and, you know, she needed to take time for herself. Carrie never replied. So she's basically ghosted them. How did did Geraldine and Helen feel about this? They felt so betrayed. 
Well, we're not stupid people. We wouldn't have given her money because no. we didn't have money to give. But I mean, we gave of herself, which of ourselves, mm. which was way more. Do you know what we gave of our time, our friendship, our family, and we would be we would be welcoming. We have no reason not to be. We're yeah. in a fabulous community. Yeah, we're in. Do you know we're in a safe space? You know, and we got taken in. I mean, again, this is another motif, isn't it? It's just, you know, people thinking they've really made a proper solid gold friend, that the friendship's real, and when it's withdrawn, when they've been ghosted, it, it devastates them. How did your conversation end with Geraldine? Well, by this point, they knew that Carrie had lied to them, but not specifically what she lied about. So they wanted to know the truth. You know, they weren't interested in bringing her to justice, but they wanted closure. So I basically told them everything I learned at that point about Carrie Jade and their actual family. That must have been devastating, though. How did they react to that? They were pretty stoic, to be honest. I think because they'd had like this three-month separation, they'd had time to distance themselves, you know, get some perspective on her stories. Although I know Geraldine was completely appalled at the fact she'd faked her Huntington's. That really bothered her. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so I'm actually surprised they didn't want to confront her because it is such an overwhelmingly dreadful thing to hear. They actually did, to be honest. They gave me her address while we were talking and actually offered to drive me over there that minute. Right, I mean, did you go? I mean, I, part of me would have been tempted to just get in the car there and then. It was incredibly tempting, but unfortunately by that point it was already about nine o'clock at night and I didn't really want to drag them out in the dark into what could potentially be a really horrible situation with Carrie Jade. So we said our goodbyes and the next morning I went straight to her house by myself. This is a big moment. What, what was walking up to Carrie's house like, or Samantha's house, as I should say? It was weird. I was excited to meet her and, you know, get closure for all of these people. And I really wanted to know who she actually was and have that conversation. But at the same time, you know, she spent nearly a decade building these fake lives. She'd been through all kinds of trauma. And there you were on your way to drop a bomb in the middle of her life. I mean... For whatever she's done to people, we also know that she is a victim herself. So that's pretty conflicting for you. It really was. You know, it absolutely was. But I still really had to know the truth. All right, come on. It's time. Tell me, how did the meeting go? What happened? So I found her house easily enough. It was part of some modern housing development, typical beige, semi-detached house. Pretty much identical to everything else on the street, apart from this giant pink rose and willow wreath that she had hanging off the door. And I went, when I turned up, it was a really grisly morning and the bay was all blanketed in clouds and it was actually beautiful, the view from where she, where she lives. When I got there, though, her curtains were drawn, her house was in darkness and there was a printed sheet of A4 taped on the door that said, I'm in a meeting and unable to answer the door. If you need me, please text me. And then had a phone number on the bottom. That is so weird. That's such a weird thing to tape to your door. I mean, OK... I mean, I'm just imagining if I did that on my door. I mean, it's odd. Anyway, um, did you go home? What did you do? No, I stayed and rang the doorbell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did she answer? No, she didn't, unfortunately. I rang it a couple of times, hung around, waited to see if she'd come out. But there was no answer and no movement in the house either. So I took a wander to the end of the street, hung around for a bit longer. And a few minutes later, I finally got a text. My doorbell has logged a number of attempts this morning, which I presume is you. I have been advised by the solicitor to state that, as I am disabled and my sister a vulnerable person, we have offered to speak with you at an assigned time. But journalistic standards are clear around harassment and medical privacy. Please supply your information for my solicitor 
to contact you next week. Right, well, she's still going with the fake sister story then. She was, and this claim that her doorbell had logged a number of attempts. It was a completely normal-looking doorbell, you know, it's not a ring one or anything that can actually record people pressing it or turning up. So she's essentially looking at you out of a window somewhere. She's she's observing you, which is sort of, I don't know, it made me feel very uncomfortable, I, I guess. Um, how did you respond to the text? I mean, I know you're made of stronger stuff than I am. I'd be completely creeped out. So no, I texted back and I asked her to give me the name and address of the email address of this solicitor so that I could actually communicate with them directly. And that was the last message we exchanged because she never sent me his details at all. No, well, there is no solicitor, there's no sister, there's no nothing. It's just her, I suspect, feeling rumbled and on edge and shoring up her home. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, and I guess knowing her as we now do, preparing to leave town and preparing to start all over again with another identity, maybe. Possibly. I mean, all I know from there, the next day I had to come back to the UK. So I basically flew back and continued gathering stories from the people that had known Samantha Cooks and her various identities. I actually heard nothing more about Samantha Cooks or her whereabouts until late November last year. At the end of November, I got a call from a woman called Chloe, who actually lived next door to Carrie Jade and Ken Mare. And she'd been speaking to some of the TikTokers who'd taken it upon themselves to try and hunt down Carrie. She got in touch with me to let me know that Carrie had moved out of her house pretty much overnight and also gave me the contact details for their shared landlord. Ah, I can imagine how that call went. (laughs) He was so angry. He didn't even know that she'd been running an Airbnb in the house for one thing. And he basically found out after she'd gone, because Chloe told him, that she fled overnight. He came to see the house and she'd actually nicked a bunch of his furniture and owed him a couple of grand in rent. So... I mean, I know this is a ridiculous question, but I I don't suppose she left a forwarding address and no one really had a clue where she'd gone. Oddly enough, no. She left no forwarding address and disappeared into the night with her stolen furniture. A few weeks ago, I had contact from the Irish Court Service and they told me that Carrie had actually faced some consequences for her actions. All right, so, so what happened? So on May 24th, 2019, Samantha Cooks was given a suspended prison sentence of 14 weeks and two days. Right, OK, so what was that for in particular? Because there's so, there's so many misdemeanours. It, let's pin down what this charge was for. So there were four documented instances of theft on this one. Over the course of July 2016, she'd stolen €1,400 Euros from various people in Dublin and Wicklow. Now, the court service wouldn't give us the name of the victims, so we don't know the specifics of the theft. But in terms of our timeline, the stories we've told, this would have happened when she was living under the names of Lucy Hart and Lucy Fitzwilliam. So uh, Lucy Hart and Lucy Fitzwilliam, that's when she was an autism specialist, child therapist, ran a women's refuge and organised that Lapland trip. Absolutely. So, yeah, we don't know if the money taken in the theft was part of the Lapland trip stuff or if it was a separate crime, but that's definitely when it was occurring. But it's fair to say that those thefts weren't the only reason she she received the sentence in 2019. No, interestingly enough, she was also prosecuted for claiming to be a child psychologist. So within the suspended prison sentence of 14 weeks and two days, there's two counts of theft and there's the prosecution for the fake claims. I mean, it seems to me she's got off very, very lightly. There's no prison time. She is claiming to be a, a professional working with vulnerable people and she isn't. And she's a thief. Absolutely. I mean, between March and June 2017... This whole psychologist crime was where she basically deceived a man into believing that she was a child psychologist and she had him pay her €840 to be his child's special needs assistant in school. And for some reason, yeah, this this plus four counts of theft only got her 14 weeks. 
it's just it's very very odd because you know this is this is somebody who's a constant offender but we don't even know the half of it you know and and possibly as more people get in touch with us there will be further further developments but this is repetitive kind of compulsive behavior and as you say no, no, nobody in terms of the police seems to have put a stop to it Again, forgive my ignorance, a suspended sentence is still a conviction, is it not? So there's still a criminal record pursuant to that. Absolutely. If you get a suspended sentence, the length of your suspended sentence is the length for which you have to behave. So if you commit any kind of crimes, you've got 14 weeks. If you commit any kind of crime within those 14 weeks, there's a very high likelihood you will end up with a custodial sentence. That's how suspended sentences work. And yet here she is running free, set, literally setting up the next scam as she goes, pretty much at this point. I mean, does it give you any kind of sense of closure that Samantha has been found by the courts to be guilty of something and, and did get a sentence, even though, as we know, it's suspended? The fact that she has the record would have been comforting had anyone done anything about that. The fact that she has this record and nobody seems to have put any warnings up or there's no, there's nothing being given to... You know, as I say, the Guardian in various towns to alert them to her presence, the social services in various places. At this point, you're questioning what's the point of the sentence? You know, you've been given this sentence, you've been convicted, but it's clearly not stopping you because nobody's acting on it. All this leads us, I guess, to this moment in the, in the studio. Almost a year now since you knocked on Samantha's door uh, last October. Uh, almost a year since you published your full story about her on Vice. What are your reflections now on the story now you've got some critical distance from it? I still really want to know who she is. I want the chance to talk to her. I wish she'd actually talk to me. I hope she'd talk to me at some point. I'd like to just have that conversation when I'm not on a deadline in a different country, you know, waiting for a plane the next day where I could just sit and actually ask her all the things I've wanted to ask her when I didn't get to meet her mm. and find out who she actually is. Because we've seen the effect she's had on other people. The public interest in this was massive. And I want to know where she is now and how she, how she is now as well. Yeah, I mean, I sort of feel that, for me, the intrigue of this story, the curiosity that it arouses, is also part of the problem because it's you can never really know. We're just left with... with every time we, we dig a bit deeper, you do more and more intensive research... There's just more questions and we're just left with second guessing her motives, second guessing her pain, her psychology that's led her in turn to inflict pain and suffering on others who are damaged. Mm -hmm. So you're right, it would be lovely just to get some kind of closure from her for all those people she's affected, but also some kind of answer as to why she's done it, how the trauma's mutated in her in order to to make her enact this kind of displaced revenge on other people. We don't know why she's done all this. That, for me, is the thing that I keep going over in my mind and the thing that's drawn me frustratingly to this project. I want to know the answers to why. Why she drew people in. Did she just want sympathy? Did she want money? Did she want something that so many people online chase, which is fame, notoriety, exceptionalism as well, being special, being unique? What made her take up those identities? Is she just running from her past endlessly and drawing people into the mania? I don't know. Interestingly, a couple of months ago, I was actually scrolling through my phone and I happened to notice something odd. 
While Samantha stopped answering my calls over a year ago now, I actually put her number into WhatsApp and realised that her number's still active on my phone. What? So hang on, she's not deleted that number? Doesn't look like it. It looks like she's still on the same phone. And she's still active? Yep, it's still an active number. Why the hell aren't we calling it? We can if you want. Shall we try? As we're doing it, you know, I think it's important to to recognise that everybody's a victim in this story. So in, it's, it's a call that we're not going to do in an attacking way. It's just, yeah, we just need answers. We've got to try and find out, even a little bit. I'm going to leave it to the professional, to the professional investigative journalist. <laughs> OK, then. Let's give her a call and see what happens. someone actively stopped that call. Yeah, no, it would have gone straight to answer phone or whatever. Whoever that is has manually disconnected the call. Mm -hmm. But the phone line is active. Somebody, whoever it is, does not want to be spoken to. Nope, they absolutely do not. It may be that because it's coming from a UK mobile number, it may be that they're just not answering any calls whatsoever at the moment. But that line is active, so the question remains, is Samantha Cooks at the end of that? And if she isn't and she sold her phone to somebody else, they're also equally sort of disinclined to answer phone calls from numbers they don't know, which I don't blame. I don't do the same. But what interested me that, that it did ring. It did. It's it didn't there. go straight to voicemail. It didn't have a disconnected tone. It was... We, we, we got a ringtone. We absolutely did. And that is a metaphor for the whole of this thing, really. It's you, you, there's someone there. We just have to work out. We have to fill in the gaps. The motivation and the where's and the why's. Yep, and also the who. And the who. Are we still trying to find Carrie Jade? Is she somebody else? I mean, based on, on the information you've given me, based on the, the stories that I've heard, I would say she is already living and embedded living another life. Because this feels... I always caveat this with... I'm not a trained psychologist, I'm just curious about human nature. But it feels pathological, it feels like something without intervention, it feels like something without an intervention that she would carry on doing ad infinitum. No, it absolutely does. It's been literally her life for more than 10 years now and she's not going to suddenly stop. I'm not sure she can suddenly stop. I mean, as with you, I'm not a psychologist either, but I've seen enough of this, I've spent enough time looking at her life and the patterns within it that this is going to continue. And where her lives continue, where a new identity is formed, there will be those that she predates upon. Um, her sadness, her pathology draws in other people who are also sad, who are grief-stricken, who are in need. And who knows, there may well be a family, parents, community members who are in the middle of being co-opted by her next persona. There may well be. I fully expect that there are somewhere out there. Somewhere in Ireland, in another tiny village, a very happy, very lively British girl has turned up and is the answer to everybody's prayers, for now. And if that rings true, if that's something that somebody listening to the show has experienced, then it would be very interesting to hear from them. It'd be very interesting to hear, has a bubbly British girl arrived, have stories of sickness, 
curious background, adoption, a Texan cowboy father, have all these things started to materialise too? Although there may well be a completely new backstory. Very possible. I can't see Carrie, Carrie Jade's persona having remained in place. No. She was far too well known to have kept it up. I think it's got to the stage where there needs to be an intervention of some kind. And we both know that that's, in the current climate, unlikely because of cuts, because of difficulties within mental health care. You know all too well, it was your former job. And when you say you, you know, you'd, you want to help, then that doesn't come idly. That comes with your professional experience of a life spent in that environment. Yeah, as I say, I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't offer solutions, but I think what she needs is someone to listen without judgment. She needs a space to put the truth. So much of what she's done isn't technically criminal. Some things she's done, as we know, have, have brought her into the attention of the law. And she operates in that grey space where she won't necessarily trouble a judge, but she'll trouble a community, and as you say, herself. Nothing's getting resolved. None of her trauma is getting resolved through disassociation, through running away, through making up new characters. The whole story has been... A quiet unravelling, really. Watching a quiet unravelling of a person and taking down various communities with her. And, you know, there's no there's no joy in that, in the, in the sense that, you know, ni- neither of us are sitting here at the end of this going, yeah, nailed it! It's a really sad, a panoramically sad story, but a story of modern times, you know, of somebody who has made a name for themselves using social media, using TikTok, using all the amplification tools that kids now have and drawing people into, you know, her own pain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Rebuilding her fantasy over and over again. It's just... Yeah, the the fiancé. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know, the, 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 the colourful family life. Maybe abs- absorbing herself in other people's pain to deflect her own. Who knows? We can only really wonder. I get a sense from you that it's not really done. I want to sit down and I want to talk to her as who, as, as who I am, as she is, as both of us really are, and just find out who's in there. Because she is in there somewhere. There is a person behind all of these things, all these names, all these people. And I want to know who she is. Perhaps we should send her a voice message since we can't leave a voice mail. Hi, Samantha. My name is Catherine Denkinson. I'm a journalist and I contacted you last year about the Airbnb story on TikTok. Samantha, I'm Sue Perkins. I'm, I'm co-host of... Carrie Jade Does Not Exist, which which is a podcast that, that's been telling your story. But I know that initially you didn't want to talk to me about your Airbnb situation, and I know that there's a lot of things changed for you in the year since my story came out, but we still really want to give you your chance at a right of reply, your chance to tell us your story. We would like you to explain why you've lived under so many different identities and why you've chosen to dissemble and lie about who you were and what you do. And we know that life is complicated, We're also aware that life has been difficult for you. And all we want to do is hear your side of the story and simply understand why. If you want to reach us, you can get in touch with us at this phone number or you can email carriejadedoesnotexist at gmail.com. We are really interested in speaking with you. Thank you. Bye.
Carrie Jade Does Not Exist is an audio always original production hosted by me, Sue Perkins. Catherine Denkinson reported the original story and wrote the series. It was produced by Rafaro Faith Mazarura and executive produced by Elsa Rochester. Craig Edmondson as the sound designer and Joe Meek the editor. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.